All right, well, if you have your Bibles, um, open back up to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. We're going to continue on from where we left off last week. We'll get to that here in just a few moments. So, um, balance, I'm sure you would agree, is an important thing um, when it comes to this world and when it comes to our lives. For instance, um, we, need, we need a healthy balance of work and play, or else we will go insane. Uh, we, we need a balanced lifestyle when it comes to diet and exercise, if we want to stay physically healthy. Uh, we need a balanced, we need to make sure we balance our checkbook to make sure that our um, outgoing doesn't get bigger than our incoming, if that makes sense, right? Uh, many times, especially as parents, if you're in the stage of life, especially as I am with three teenagers all involved in school and sports and everything under the sun, um, we have to balance our schedules to make sure we can keep up with everything and then spend adequate time with them and, and with the Lord. I mean, balance in our life is important, especially when it comes to peanut butter and chocolate. I love this time of the year. Who loves this time of the year? And I'm going to tell you why. You know the little round chocolate Reese's peanut butter eggs? Those are heaven. Because that's like the perfect balance of chocolate and peanut butter. And they got it just right. Well, um, <laughs> it's true that balance is important in our lives, definitely in different, many, many different areas of our lives. And this is especially true when it comes to our spiritual lives um, as Christians. And today we're going to be talking about um, something a whole lot more important than a peanut butter egg. Um, in, in that, we're going to be talking about this delicate balance between the law of God and the grace of God, and how both of these things kind of affect our lives and what responsibility we have to both of these things as we continue on looking through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus here. So we're going to go ahead and read verses 17 through 20. Um, So if you have your Bibles, um, you can read that along with me or else it'll be up there in the screen. And it says this, starting in verse 17, again, this is red letters, Jesus speaking here. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you in verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's just pray real quick and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray tonight, God, that you would just speak mightily through it. Father God, there is no power in my lips or my mind. It's all through you. It's through your Holy Spirit speaking um, through me. So I just pray that tonight, Lord God, that you would speak. Um, speak to hearts, minds. Lord, give us um, the, the, the ability just to focus on you and just remove distractions from this place, God, that we can give you our full attention just for these next moments. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would move in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, we started looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Again, this is named this because this is really probably the one of the most famous sermons or speeches Jesus ever gave during his earthly ministry, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it happened on a mountainside, um, kind of in northern Israel along the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've never been to Israel, although I hope to go someday, but I have a pastor friend that has been there, and they took him to this spot that they believed this took place, and he said what's really interesting is often we get this picture of Jesus standing up on a mountain and speaking, 
16, he said that's probably not the way it was. He said it was probably on the mountainside, it was full of people, and Jesus stood down there by the lake because there's this breeze that comes off the Sea of Galilee. And he said, the, the, he was saying that the, the, the tour guide or whatever stood down there and just kind of talked in a normal voice. And he said you could literally hear it in every spot on that mountainside because the breeze was carrying the voice up there. Anyways, nothing really to do with the sermon other than it's just kind of interesting. Um, well, anyways, last week we um, looked at what is typically known as the Beatitudes. Um, you know, these attitudes and attributes that we're supposed to be having in our lives. And we talked about if we can attain these attitudes and attributes, it will it'll put us in position to be the lights of the world that God has called us to be. Um, in fact, we'll be in a position that Jesus was, because as we talked about, what gave Jesus so much um, status, even beyond his miracles, was the fact that he, he walked the talk that he talked. Does that make sense? I mean, he lived a perfectly amazing, loving, caring, holy lifestyle, and that drew people to him and gave him opportunities to speak. Now, as we talked about in verses 13 through 16 last week, um, we've been called to be salt and light. This idea that salt, we've been, this idea of like a preservation measure, measure where we've been called to bring preservation to this decaying world because of sin. And if we live with these attitudes and attributes, we'll be shining the light of Christ, opening up the door for the gospel to go out. Now, to us today, that makes sense, right? I mean, we have the whole Bible. We can look at those things and say, yeah, I mean, that just makes sense. These are things we ought to have in our Christian lives. However, to the audience Jesus was speaking to, this really probably would have been a very, very radical speech. Now, to us, dependency upon God, mourning over sin, walking in humility, pursuing righteousness, and so on, are important. But to the, the first century Jew that was used to living under the Mosaic law, they would have had a lot of questions about what Jesus was saying. Now, in verse 17, we see this, right? Now, we have to speculate just a little bit um, on this. But Jesus starts out and says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, or the writings of the prophet, I, I came to accomplish their purpose, right? So whatever was going on here, we don't know exactly. Um, could it be that some of the religious leaders around the area were accusing Jesus of this, of, of him trying to get rid of the law, saying it was no good anymore? Um, could they have been um, telling the people that Jesus was a false teacher at this time? I think that's probably a really good possi- possibility, and more than likely true, um, because although the timeline in Matthew's a little bit murky, Luke really gives you a timeline of the events and sort of and the timeline of which they happen. And by this particular time in Jesus' ministry, he had already called all of his disciples. He already had done a number of miracles. And because of what he was doing, he had really started to annoy the religious leaders in Israel. For instance, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus met a paralyzed man who was lowered down from a roof by four of his friends, and instead of healing him right away, with these Pharisees watching, what does he say? He says, son, your, your sins are forgiven. And these Pharisees looked at him like, who is he to forgive sins? I mean, they accused him of blasphemy, like sinning against, like a direct sin against God. He was making claims that only God should be able to make. And so Jesus says, well, all right, because he knew their minds. So just to prove to you that I have this authority, just pick up your mat and, and, and go, go ahead and stand up and go home to the paralyzed man. He was just healed right that instant, right? And, you know, there, there was some other things like just before this, you know, Jesus had touched a man with leprosy. 
and he healed him. Um, Jesus had the audacity to heal a man on the Sabbath day, which they obviously did not approve of. Now, why were these things significant in kind of context what we're talking about here? Because the people were used to living under the law and the teachings of the priests and the Pharisees. And under the law, for instance, you weren't supposed to touch a person with leprosy. It made you unclean, right? Under the law, according to the Pharisees anyways, you couldn't do any type of work on the Sabbath day. And as for forgiving sins, that's something that only God had the power to do, certainly not some carpenter's son from Nazareth. Now we're going to see next week as we kind of continue on what the Pharisees taught the law said and what the law actually said were far, far different in a lot of ways, right? Because Jesus obviously didn't do anything wrong and obviously didn't sin. Now, um, now the point of this is this. By this time in Jesus' ministry, he had essentially become a superstar to some, but to many of the religious leaders, he had become a bit notorious. Many of them looked at him not only as a false teacher, but honestly, they looked at him as a threat to them, they themselves, and a threat to God's law because they misunderstood what he was doing and what his purpose was there. And my guess is, by the statement that Jesus made here, he knew of the rumors that were being spread out about around him, and he wanted to make it crystal clear to this audience, I have not come to take away God's law. I have not come to take away what the prophet said. In fact, just the opposite, he says there, I have come to accomplish their purpose. Now, for all this to make sense, we need to take just a few moments to get all this in context and, and ask ourselves, what were the law and the prophets? Now, essentially, like, this is the book of Matthew, and this is the rest of your Bible. So, like, all that is mostly the law and the prophets. And this is just the New Testament, right? New Testament is way, 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 way smaller. And, and so the vast majority of the Bible are made up of God's law, the prophets, and, and a lot of history and stuff like that. There was prophets, um, we think a lot of like Isaiah and Jeremiah, some of the smaller ones at the end, but there was also Moses spoke prophetically in many ways, Enoch way back in the book of Genesis. You have David that spoke a lot of prophecy in the Psalms. And so this is kind of what it's talking about. So I just want to take just a few moments and talk about the law, talk about these prophets and what they were all about. And I think it'll help make a lot of sense with the rest of this passage. So the law was given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai, right? And up to this point in history, general morality was known by people, but it wasn't written down like in book form, if you will. Now, we know this because of Romans chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20 that says that from the very beginning, God had made himself known to people. There was, there's just something inside of every human being that has a knowledge that God exists, whether you want to admit to it or not, because God's word says so, right? And then in chapter 2 of Romans, in verse 15, it talks about how God has even placed his, his moral laws on the hearts and the minds of people that, that our consciences bear witness to our actions, right? Because we, we, we know in instinctively things that are right and things that are wrong because God built us that way, right? But, but until this time in history, mankind lived on those instincts because there was no formal written law for the people, but God changed this um, on Mount Sinai when he gave his law through Moses to the people. Now, what this law essentially was, was God's instructions to them of as far as how they were to live and act and in literally every aspect of their lives. 
Now, some people kind of break this down into three different sections to make it easy, and and we're going to do that, but I mean, it wasn't really broken down like this originally, but you can kind of break it down into three kind of categories, moral law, judicial law, and ceremonial law. Now, the moral law really are, it's all about morality. I mean, it's it's about what is sin, right? It's about the things that God says, do not do these things because these are a sin. These go against my righteous character, and these things are wrong. And we get a lot of them, like, say, from the Ten Commandments. Um, There's other things um, in, in the Old Testament about some different rules that were prohibited, like kidnapping, sorcery, witchcraft, various sexual sins, a lot of that stuff. And there's just a bunch of moral laws, but most of them are kind of centralized in the Ten Commandments. And it's just interesting that you think about all the, you know, all the law that, that, that God gave him, it was all kind of written down in scroll form except for what? The Ten Commandments, written in what? Stone. I think very, very symbolic. We'll kind of talk about that just a little bit later, that they're um, obviously lasting, right? Anyways, you had the moral law, you had the judicial law. It was kind of how their government was supposed to be run, how conflict was supposed to be dealt with, who was in charge, how society was to conduct themselves, and so on. And then you had what was kind of known as the ceremonial law, which was the daily sacrifices and the yearly sacrifices that took place. Um, the idea was the, um, they, they would sacrifice animals. And the whole point of this was a, a picture, as we'll see, of Christ to come. But this kind of started way back in the book of Genesis, when the first sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, we see this picture because God, it says, clothes them with the skins of animals, right? So the first sacrifice is made, and this picture of them being clothed is the the innocent is covering the guilty, because what's the penalty for sin? Even from the very beginning, the Lord said it was death. So when when sin happens, somebody has to die. And so instead of causing humanity to be wiped out because of their choices, God enacted this plan where an innocent animal perfect, unblemished, could be killed to take care of, atone for, cover the guilty. That's kind of what the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament was about. There were also feast days, which were done to kind of commemorate different things, like the Passover and um, Day of Atonement, some of those things. And then there were like clean and unclean rituals, like people couldn't come to the temple if they were considered unclean, like if they would touch a dead body, if they would do this or do that or whatever, they were considered unclean. They couldn't go to worship. And so this is what they lived under. Um, the nation of Israel, from the time they came out of Egypt, 15, 1700 BC, until the time that, that Jesus was here on earth. This is what kind of ruled their life. The good thing about the law is that it showed them exactly what God expected of them. And and in fact, with the law came promises of God as well. And this is kind of what's known as the Mosaic Covenant, you know, otherwise known as a deal that God made with Israel through Moses. God says, if you follow this, if you do these things, you're going to have my um, my blessing, you're going to have my protection, my provision, you're essentially going to become healthy, you're going to be prosperous as a nation. Because... I'm with you. You know, I'm your God, and as long as you're doing your part, I'm going to do mine and make sure that you prosper and succeed as a nation. However, however, part of the promise of this covenant was also a warning that if they disobeyed, there was going to be serious consequences. 
like they would lose this blessing, they would lose this protection, this provision, they would have their lands and their riches taken away from them, their children would be taken captive into foreign lands as slaves. Essentially, they would lose everything if they turned their backs on God. And so this was kind of the deal of the law, and the problem of the law, which really wasn't a problem of the law as much as it was a problem with mankind, is that they couldn't do it. No matter how much they tried, they failed because their sin nature just won out. They, their sin nature got the best of them. And so that's kind of the law, just a, just a quick overview. Then you have the prophets. What were the prophets? Who were the prophets? These were men sent by God to give his message to his people. Now, most of these prophets, although you could say you don't, Enoch and, and you have Moses and even Abraham to an extent with some prophetic stuff through them, but the main prophets that more than likely we're talking about here were the ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel, right? And, and, and uh, you have like all the little ones like Habakkuk and Nahum and all those ones and Malachi, right? Now, some of these prophets came with a message of warning. While Israel was still a nation, while they were still prosperous, these, um, these prophets came with a warning, warning, warning them that a time of judgment was going to come if they didn't quit sinning and turn back to God. However, because we have the whole Bible, we know that they made the wrong choice, right? And Israel was taken over um, by Assyria, part of it, by Babylon, part of it, and they've never really been a nation like they were um, kind of ever since. But while they were in captivity, God also sent um, some prophets to them. And, and while they were impressed in these foreign nations, God gave this, this, these message through these people about a, a coming Messiah that would come and save them. A, a Savior that would deliver them from um, their captors and even sin. A king that would one day come and reign again as Israel's king. Um, a king that would one day come and restore his people, right? And so this was kind of the job of the prophets. Well, the law gave them a, a general understanding of how God expected them to live. You had the prophets that came and said, basically, because you haven't obeyed the law, there's consequences. However, even though you've got yourself in a giant mess, God's still going to do his part and he's going to save you someday through this Savior, through this Messiah. Okay, so this is kind of the, just a general overview, law and the prophets. And in verse 18, Jesus said, basically, I have, well, as, as he said, I haven't come to take these away. And he even says further, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, in some of your Bibles, he says, not one jot or one tittle will be replaced. Some of the older translations, it's kind of just an interesting little thing. This was all had to do with kind of the Hebrew alphabet, and the smallest Hebrew letter was most like just like a hyphen almost, right? And, and that was kind of the jot where the tittle was kind of like a, they kind of, their, their numbers were very pretty and distinct. They had like little loops on them and stuff like that. And he's like, look, to, to the smallest letter, to the, to, the, to the smallest loop of the letter, he says, these things shall remain until their purpose is achieved, until heaven and earth and all that disappear. Uh, you know, Jesus kind of repeated this back in Matthew chapter 24. He, he told us heaven and earth are going to disappear, but his word will actually what? Never disappear. His word is eternal. So then he says here in 18, until its purpose is achieved, so then we have to ask this question, what was the purpose of God's law? Other than to just give them instructions, were there was it more? Were there more to it other than just saying these are the do's and these are the don'ts? Right, this is how I want you to live. Was there more to it than that? And the truth is, absolutely. 
And, and here's the, 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 the big thing about the law. It revealed the character of God. The whole purpose of the law was to, for God to reveal himself exactly who he was, his character, his nature, to his people. It revealed that he was a holy God, that he was holy and righteous and set apart, and that he expected his people to live that way as well. It, it revealed that he was a just God that expected his people to deal with one another justly. You think about the judicial law, so much of that had to do with loving our neighbor, you know, and, and making sure we're treating people the right way. And that represents the character of God because he cares about people. It, it, the law showed how God is a loving God, that he wanted to be with his people. And until that point, God's presence wasn't with his people, but when the law came, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and that whole thing, God's presence once again was in the camp of his people. And he loved them so much that he's, he wanted his presence to literally be there with him. It, the law represents that, that God is a merciful God. You think about the ceremonial laws of, of the sacrifices and all these different things, and, and although these people were imperfect and, and sinners, God gave them a path of restoration and forgiveness, so that they could stay in right relationship with him. But the law also revealed, and especially the prophets, that God was a God that hated sin. And he was a God that promised to judge it and punish it, right? And so you, you have all this, this picture of God, and what it was designed to do was to help reveal the sinful nature of the people. What it should have done was help them to see that, man, in my best efforts, I keep falling on my face. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it. I just can't be perfect. And so God's design of the law was for them to recognize that and then cause them to come to him and say, I need you. This whole thing was to lead them to the Savior who was his son, who was Jesus. And if there's any question about what Jesus thought about obedience to law, you can see in verse 19, to, to further his point, he says, if you ignore God's laws and teach people that they don't matter, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. However, he says, if you obey them and teach others to do the same, you're going to be called what? Great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, heavenly rewards and heavenly status depends on how closely people obey God's instructions. Here. And now we get to the part that kind of really, no doubt, would have thrown these people for a loop. Jesus didn't just say that he was going to take these things, that he wasn't going to take these things away. He went one step further and said that he himself was actually going to accomplish their purpose. Literal translation, he says, I will be the one that fulfills these things. Now, think about the, the picture I just told you of the law and prophets. The law representing the character of God, the nature of God, the holiness of God. The prophets talk so much about the Savior to come. Now, think about how Jesus fulfills all of these things. Now, the law revealed God's character, his love, his mercy, his provision, his grace, his forgiveness. What did Jesus reveal and display in his life? Think about how Jesus fulfilled this, right? Think about the displaying of God's character in Christ's life. Jesus lived a perfectly holy life and never sinned. He followed the laws to the T. 
It says he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin even one time. Not only that, but he, he displayed God's love and compassion. He healed people. He provided food for people. He met people's needs. He cared for people in their emotional times. He was with them. Think about how he displayed God's power. I mean, for crying out loud, he calmed seas and stopped storms by just saying, quiet. <laughs> I mean, how cool would that have been to see, you know? I mean, he, he, he literally raised dead people to life. Lazarus, dead in the tomb for four days, he says, Lazarus, it's time to come on out. Guy walks out of there still in his grave clothes. I mean, think about the power that Jesus had. He had power over nature, power over life, power over Satan. He's casting demons out. They're running and fleeing just at his name, but he also displayed God's grace and mercy. I mean, he left the splendors of heaven to come here as a human for the sole purpose of going to a cross and dying for a bunch of sinners. How amazing is that? Now, the prophets, think about this. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. He was the one sent by God to save the people. He was the one that they had been waiting for for centuries. He was the baby born of the virgin that the prophet Isaiah spoke of. Like, he was the one born in Bethlehem that the prophet Micah spoke of. He was the one that came out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I shall call my son that, that the prophet Hosea spoke of. You remember his, at his birth and the whole Herod thing, and the angel came and warned Joseph and says, take the mother and the baby and go to Egypt. Therefore, it fulfills the prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son. Guess what? Jesus fulfilled that one too. Think about Isaiah chapter 35, the prophet Isaiah, verses 5 and 6. He said, he said this, wait hundreds of years before Christ. When he comes, he will open up the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Guess who fulfilled that? When the deaf could hear, when the blind could see, when the lame could walk, Jesus. Think about Isaiah chapter, chapter 53. How Jesus ultimately fulfilled all of these words. It was Jesus who was despised and rejected. It was Jesus who was the man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. He was the one who carried our wages and sorrows. Jesus was the one who was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was the one who was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was the one who was whipped so that we could be healed. He was the one who was led like a lamb to the, lamb to the slaughter. And he was the one who God crushed as God's wrath of sin, for sin was inflicted upon on him for us. It was Jesus who satisfied God's wrath by his perfect sacrifice, and it was Jesus, he's the one that made it possible for many to be counted righteous. How? Because he bore all of our sins upon himself in the cross of Calvary. The whole Isaiah 53 is all the prophet Isaiah speaking of the Savior who was going to come and save the people from their sins, and Jesus fulfilled everything. It's amazing. One commentator said it like this. Through Jesus' life, he literally and symbolically fulfilled all the law and the prophets. He says he fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law and the prophets in that he brought full revelation to them through his physical life. He fulfilled the predictive prophecy of the law and prophets in that he is the promised one showing the reality behind the shadows of him in the Old Testament. He fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets in that he fully obeyed them. And he fulfilled even the penalty of the law and the prophets for us by his death on the cross, taking 
paying the penalty that we deserved because of sin. He fulfilled it all. Essentially, the Old Testament is God revealing himself to his people in many different ways. But when Jesus came, Jesus put flesh and bone in the revelation of God. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ was the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that the Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and even expresses the very character of God. He was God in the flesh. It's not just the Old Testament, by the way. The entire Bible is speaking to Jesus. He's the main character from Genesis to Revelation. There's so many pictures of him through the, I mean, the, the historical stories that are in there aren't by accident because there's a picture of Christ in every single one and it's absolutely amazing. See, but now here's where we get to what would no doubt have been the most radical statement that Jesus made and this really kind of gets us to really what the heart of this message is all about. Look at verse 20. He says this, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a minute. Think about what he just said prior to this, right? Just, just prior to this verse, in verse 19, even if you ignore the least of the commandments and if you teach others to, to do the same, there's some that do that that are going to be in heaven, although called the least, Right? There's some that obey it and teach others to do the same. They're going to be called great, but they're still going to make it to heaven. But he said of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, unless your righteousness is better than them, you ain't even going to get to heaven. What? I mean, how how does that work out? I mean, you think about this. the, The teachers of religious law, these Pharisees, they were the spiritual teachers of Israel. They're the ones that taught the law. Those are the ones that, that taught all the commands of God. These were the people that obeyed God's laws down to the strictest detail. They prided themselves in how strictly they followed it. In fact, they, they, they followed it so well, they added to it. And, and added laws that, that weren't even there originally, right? So a big question that no doubt would have been in, in the minds of these people is if the religious leaders aren't righteous enough to make it to heaven, then who is? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. A couple thousand years ago, and people under the law, that's all you've known, and Jesus makes this statement and says, yeah, these Pharisees, these self-righteous people over here, they have no place in heaven. Now, Jesus said that God's law is here for good, but if heaven and salvation doesn't come by obeying the rules, no doubt through their minds they would have asked, well, how does one get there? If obeying the rules can't get us to heaven, then is there even even any point in following them at all? See, the big issue that Jesus was dealing here with this, that the, the law of God was never designed to save anyone. It couldn't. It was designed to bring people to an understanding that they needed a Savior. However, the religious leaders believed and taught that by obeying the rules... You could be good enough to gain God's approval. I mean, they believed that if they obeyed the rules, heaven was theirs. 
these religious folks of Jesus' day thought that by sacrificing animals and obeying the rules that God gave them, God would accept them by their mere obedience to the written law. However, there's a problem with that. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says, verses 1 through 4. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, because it's impossible to take away sins through the blood of animals, bulls and goats. So these people were the ones that gave the sacrifices day after day, year after year, to cover their sins and others, and they were still convinced that they were righteous enough because of their work for God to accept them. The problem was the law couldn't save them. No matter how many rules they kept, the scale was never balanced in their favor. No matter how many animals they were sacrificed, it could never make them perfect. They had a sin debt against God that was impossible for them to pay on their own. And see, what Jesus was really getting at here in this text that would have come into full view really after his death and resurrection was that the whole reason he came was to do for the people what they couldn't do for themselves, in which Jesus went to the cross for the sole purpose of paying the debt of sin for us so that we could attain heaven. But here's the problem. In their self-righteousness, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, and many people in Jesus' day, they missed it. Completely missed it. Even after Jesus died and rose again, they completely missed it. They, they really believed they could attain heaven on their own. And, and in doing so, here's what they did. They brought God down to their level so that they could attain him. In believing they could get to heaven through their good work, because they were good people, they diminished the holiness of God so that they could bring themselves up to a place of acceptance. And obviously, as Jesus said, because of this mindset, heaven was not theirs. But now, here we come to kind of the application point for us. What's this balance between the rules and God's grace? And this is one of these issues that, that so many Christians still deal with today and so many people struggle with today. So There's people that still believe, just like the Pharisees do, that if I'm good... If I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I don't kill people, do really, really bad stuff, therefore God is going to accept me. And you know what, you know what people do by that, right? Just like the Pharisees. They, they bring God down so that it makes God attainable through their work. The problem with that is it don't work. It's a gulf too wide to cross. And I believe the main point Jesus was making here in this whole thing was a spiritual point, this idea that 
the law cannot save us. Essentially, when it comes to us today, because we're not under the law, right? We're not under the Mosaic law. We don't live by all those rules. But the, the whole point is, is doing good and being good and, and obeying the rules of the Bible cannot get us to heaven. I don't care if you go to church every single week and never miss, go to Bible study and read your Bible every single day, it cannot get you to heaven. There's not enough good you could ever possibly do. You give all your money to the poor, it doesn't matter what you do, you and your own goodness could never attain heaven on your own. Because how do we get to heaven? The only heaven is to be in the presence of God, but what does God say? God, he can't have sin in his presence. So because of our sin, we've been separated from him, right? So how could sin, this is, the, this is the, the, the problem that has plagued mankind since the beginning. How could man who is defiled by sin, you know, we, 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 are, we are people who have messed up, who have rebelled against God. How could we ever get perfect? Because that's what it takes. See, it's not just a matter of compensating for our sin, and so many people look at it like this, like, I've done this really bad, so now I've got to do this really good. That way the scale balances, and because of that, God will therefore accept me. The problem with it is the balanced scale is not at all what God's looking for. For us to get to him, we have to be perfect. We have to be absolutely sinless. And if we're already marred because of sin defiled because of sin, how could a defiled person marred with sin ever do a good enough to compensate for that? They can't. Don't work. Absolutely can't do it. But guess what? That's why Jesus came. And this is the good news of what we call the gospel, this message of Jesus. Because Jesus came to do what we couldn't. And this is really what he was getting to in this text. See, Jesus wasn't just any man. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He followed God's law exactly. I mean, to the T, he came under the law, the Bible says, and lived under the law his entire life, and yet he did not sin even one time. He was perfectly holy. He was as holy the moment he died on the cross as he had ever been in all of eternity past. And because of that, because of his holy sacrifice, him being perfect, undefiled, when he went to the cross, he was able to do what no animal could do, what we couldn't even do ourselves. We put ourselves on the cross. He paid the sin debt of the world. He took all the sin of mankind, God poured out his wrath on his own son Jesus, and it was paid for absolutely and completely in full. He paid the debt. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says that Jesus himself is the sacrifice that atones for sin. And not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God shows how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And he says this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And listen to what Romans chapter 8 says in verses 3 and 4. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness, because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have 
have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over our life by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow him, the spirit, right? And and so what, what Jesus did on the cross essentially was this paid for our sins, opened up the portal of heaven that we could be saved. And when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, meaning I recognize I'm a sinner, I recognize that Jesus is the only one who could ever save me. He's he's my only portal to heaven. He's the only door by which I can go through. And I looked at him and said, Jesus, I want what you did on the cross to count for me in my life. And so I say, Jesus, come in my life. I want to serve you as my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me my sins. Help me to live for you. Instantaneously, here is what happens. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says that he became sin, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, so that what? We could have his righteousness. On the cross, and when we come to faith in him, the greatest transaction in all of history is made. The perfect life that Jesus lived. Remember, he followed God's standard, his law perfectly. His perfect life, his righteousness is transferred to our account. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. His perfection given to us. And therefore, the Bible says when we come to faith in Jesus, God now looks at us as perfect and holy and pure and righteousness as if we have never sinned. Justified. Just as if we had never sinned. That's exactly how he looks at us. But it could never come through the law. It doesn't come through what the Pharisees thought it came through. Now, so that's, that's the big point of this, right? But there's still an aspect of this we have to ask ourselves, what's the balance? Because Jesus did say, right? He, he did say there in verse 17, or verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, which it's still here, right? I mean, we're still breathing. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter of God's law is going to disappear. And in fact, he goes on and says that if you ignore it, teach others to do the same, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you obey it, you're going to be called great. So just because we get saved by grace, not, nothing that we've done, right? It ain't our good work. It's fully the work of Jesus is to save, right? But so just because that's true, does that therefore mean that the law of God has no jurisdiction whatsoever in our lives? No. Absolutely not. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what what does it have to do with our life? What, what's, the, what's the balance? Because we're not Jews. Most of us in here, I don't know, everybody, I guess. I mean, we're, we're certainly not living under the Mosaic Covenant. We're certainly not living under the same law as Israel was living in, right? So what, what parts do we follow? And, and I will say this. Remember Jesus says, I have come to what? Fulfill them? When you think about, say, the judicial part of the, the law, that was something the Bible says was giving to Israel for a purpose as them for the nation. And although there's some good principles that I kind of wish our government would listen to, um, just a caveat, right? But, but anyways, but, but, but those things aren't authoritative as far as the way we deal with things. Good principles, not authoritative, right? Same, what about the ceremonial laws, like the, the sacrifices and, and all those different things, right? Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, 
verses 14 and verse 18. It says, For by that one offering, speaking of Christ's death, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And in verse 18 it says, When sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any need for any more sacrifices. When Jesus said, I came to fulfill these things, when it came to the ceremonial laws, when it came to all these sacrifices of animals, there was no longer a need. Because Jesus made the one sacrifice once for all time, and so Christians today aren't bound to go sacrifice goats and lambs and bulls and all these different things for their sins, because that's not how we get forgiveness. We got it from Jesus. And so we're not bound by those things, right? So those things, although they're still there, they're, they're still a beautiful picture of what Jesus did, we're not commanded because it was taken away by Christ's sacrifice to keep doing those things, right? And so however, remember I told you at the beginning about the Ten Commandments, Really, in a nutshell, representing the the character of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. They were written in stone, I don't think by accident. I think that's a symbolic picture of these are eternal in nature because God's eternal. What does God say? I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God absolutely does not change. And so, as Christians, we still look to these things as in these are things we should or shouldn't do. These things are authoritative in our lives, and these things help us to walk in righteousness. When God said, be holy as I am holy, how do we do that? By following his righteous moral law. Now, if we do that today, remember, it's not about gaining God's approval. That can only be done through Christ. And this is just another issue that so many Christians have, is this, right? So, in Christ, we've been raised up, what, to the level of Jesus. He, he now, presently, if you know Jesus is Savior, he looks at you just like he looks at his son, because he calls us his children. We're, we're according to Christ. We, we are perfect, right? Let me ask you this. What amount of anything, name it, name it, give yourself, to the, give yourself sacrifice your body, you know, and, and whatever you know, thing you want to do, give all your money to the poor, sit down and read 7,500 hours of your Bible every single year. What, if anything you could do, could ever raise you above where you're at right now? Nothing. Nothing. What could we ever do that could make us more holy than God? And see, this is something that we need to just own as Christians, is that if you know Jesus the Savior... You could not be more perfect in his eyes than you are right now. And so when it comes to obeying the word of God and the do's and don'ts in scripture, we don't do it with the mindset that I got to do this because if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble with the big guy. No, I do it simply because of all that he's done for me. My heart's desire is to bring you glory, God. I want to honor you. I want to be that light that city on a hill, that lamp up on the lampstand. And I know the only way that I can do this is to walk like Jesus walked. So God give me the strength and the grace to do it. You know one other little thing that Jesus did? This as we close. When he died, the Bible says that the veil that separated the whole, most holy place from the rest of the temple, it says from top to bottom was ripped in two. You know, you know what that was? Here, here's the idea. Only the chief priest could go in there one time a year to atone for the sins of the nation, right? He's the only one that could go into the presence of God one time a year. And here's the symbology of this. Jesus, he, 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 like the priest, like this is why we don't have to have a priest. 
Like, I don't, I don't have to go confess my sins to a priest, neither do you. Because here's what Jesus did. He opened up the door to heaven. He says there's, there's no longer any separation. That's why the, the book of Romans says that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. We can find help from the Lord. The, the balance of law and grace is yes, God's law matters. And just as a caveat, if, if we want heavenly reward and heavenly status, guess where that comes from? Obedience to the word of God. It matters. If you want to be a street, street, sweeper, street sweeper in heaven, I guess I'd take that over hell, but don't do what you're supposed to. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you to do that, but I mean, what does he say? If you don't do these things, if you teach others to do the same, you may make it, but I mean, you're going to come in like the Bible says, small and like smoke, with nothing to show for what Christ has done for you. I don't want to live like that, and I don't think you do either, so let's live for the Lord. Let's accept the grace that God has given us in Jesus But let's also look at the Bible and say, this is how he's called me to live for a reason. I want to glorify you and I want to be your witness in this world. Lord, help me to do it. That's the balance, my friends, between law and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this time. And and God, just for, oh, Lord God, the God that you are, so amazing, so loving, so caring, so kind, so good. God, you could have loved us in our sin. You could have... You could have judged us and, and sent us to hell forever and you would have been just in doing so and yet you didn't. You sent Jesus to save us. And God, we are eternally, eternally grateful for that truth. Father God, tonight I just pray for all of us in here, Lord, those of us that, that um, have already began a relationship with Christ. Lord, let us, let us just remember that uh, the debt's already been paid. Or we're already clean. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And Father, because of those truths, God, give us the ability and the desire to walk in holiness, to, to look at your, your laws, to look at your, the, 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 the do's and the don'ts of your Bible, and to look at those things, not as I have to's, but I want to's. And God, through that, I pray that you would use us to, to be the light of this world that you've called us to be, Father, to, to reach many people with your gospel. But Father, I, I would pray just even tonight, Lord, if there's anybody listening or anybody here that has never made the decision to follow Christ, God, the gospel's been shared. And I just pray tonight, Lord God, if they've never done that, that they would call out to Christ, call out to right now and just say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior, Father. And if anybody's never done that, let them call out tonight. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' mighty, precious, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Because if we close, we're going to sing a 